Just as a reminder for those serving at the Lord's table, you know, when you make changes, uh, sometimes it takes a while for us to uh, keep that in mind, and so we remind you, those who are serving tonight at the Lord's table, for those who didn't have an opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, keep in mind that the contribution uh, is to be included as a part of that at the uh, conclusion of the Lord's Supper. So if you are uh, in the uh, assembly tonight and have not had an opportunity to contribute, uh, when the Lord's Supper is passed, you don't have to contribute then, just Hold on, and uh, that will be done just as we do it on Sunday morning. So just to keep that uh, in mind, that that will be done at the conclusion of the Lord's Supper, uh, and you'll be given an opportunity to give. Sometimes there are those who may travel and uh, have an opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper when they're traveling, but they've saved their contribution for the home congregation, and so they may, even though they've had opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, would like to uh, contribute to the to the home congregation, and uh, so this would allow for that as well. But that's a, a change that we've made recently, and uh, we just want to remind you about about that. Also, uh, Steve mentioned this morning about the member registration side of the card, and uh, we are going to begin that next week, and uh, we hope that you will uh, uh, remember to do that. Uh, our members as well as our visitors. Uh, Lewis Caulfield did the printing on these back when we have a lot of them in stock and they're very well done and uh, give opportunity for uh, quite a bit of information included, uh, including suggested sermon subjects or questions. Uh, there are some preachers who um, uh, about once a month or at least uh, fifth Sundays or whatever on Sunday nights, of course we do singing on fifth Sunday, but they uh, take a Sunday night periodically just to answer questions uh, in lieu of the sermon. The sermon consists of uh, answers to Bible questions, and we have not been doing that, and we may not do that. I don't know. <laughs> Depends on what the questions are and how many, but it uh, might be something that we might consider doing uh, if we had enough questions and interest in doing that. But this card would give you an opportunity to jot down uh, a question, a Bible question that you might have, and uh, that might give us an opportunity to... Uh, include those on a Sunday night if the elders determine to do that. And uh, also, as Steve mentioned this morning, it helps us to keep up with those who are sick that we may not learn about. And in the remarks, if you know of someone who's sick, just to make sure that we get that information and know that, that will be helpful there. Plus, it will also let us know about attendance records at all services, which we would like to know, because uh, the date includes a check mark for the AM service, PM, or midweek uh, Bible uh, study. And on the name, if all of your family is here, uh, then, uh, you know, if you've got children and everybody's here, you could just put your family name, I suppose, and we would know everybody was here. Uh, but if someone's missing or sick, it helps us to know that, too. So we're, we feel like this will be good. And Maria Blair uh, volunteered this morning. She doesn't want me to tell that. <laughs> but uh, she's going to make sure that the uh, pencils uh, stay in the pews sharpened and that there are plenty of cards. And we appreciate that, Maria. But uh, we feel like this will be helpful to, uh, to us. And we appreciate so much your uh, cooperation uh, in doing uh, that for us. Tonight we are continuing our study of uh, the Philippian letter. We just began... Uh, last week. And since we just began uh, last week, uh, I'm just going to take just a moment and go back over. We have some here who were not 
uh, able to be with us last week and not with us, so uh, we'll just kind of review just briefly this time and go back through uh, some of the uh, some of the slides that we uh, that we showed last week to familiarize you with the area of Philippi. What you see there is the uh, port of Neapolis, as we mentioned last time, which is uh, today is known as Kavala, K-A-V-A-L-L-A, but that was Neapolis, that is Neapolis there where Paul and his party first landed on European soil to preach the gospel for the first time uh, on European uh, soil. And the very road they would have traveled from Neapolis into Philippi is this road. Uh, the Ignatian Way, a Roman road that was uh, of, of some length and was a very vital uh, passageway and roadway. This would have been the road that Paul would have traveled from the seaport. And in the distant background there, you can see uh, the sea. And so coming up from Neapolis and coming into uh, Philippi, the plain of Philippi here, uh, as you see, the, the ruins of, uh, of the city. And as I mentioned last week, these are not my slides. I have several of Philippi that uh, we took in uh, 1978, many years ago, but I haven't transferred those over to digital format. But um, uh, when we were there, uh, archaeological teams were working at Philippi and the ruins of Philippi at that time. And uh, as I recall, they said if you came back a few years from that time, you would see quite a change in terms of what they had reconstructed based upon the archaeological digs that they were uh, doing. But Philippi is not an occupied uh, uh, city today. This is the forum uh, from the east. As you look at the forum where public gatherings would have been uh, held, where preaching would have been done in a public uh, uh, setting uh, here. And this is the Philippi Plain to the, uh, to the northwest. As I mentioned last week, Macedonia is a beautiful area uh, indeed, it's um, a very beautiful area and one that uh, we enjoyed traveling in. This is the uh, commercial agora, uh, the shops. And as we mentioned last time, you can see the little uh, uh, separated areas which would have indicated a different shop along, as we said, kind of like our modern strip malls uh, today with, uh, with different stores at different, uh, uh, at different places all in the same uh, building. Well, people would have walked along out front here and gone in and out of these, uh, out of these uh, uh, shops. And um, then this is the prison. That one slide was a duplicate. This is uh, a prison, which, of course, is the traditional uh, site of Paul and Silas's imprisonment uh, at Philippi. Uh, when they first came to Philippi and were thrown into prison after casting out the demon after the young, out of the young maiden there and uh, depriving those who were using her for gain of their, uh, of their income, uh, they were so upset they took them to the magistrates, as you recall, and they were thrown into prison. And, of course, this is a traditional site. Now, not far from this site, as you look at the picture, if you continued uh, uh, in that direction, uh, I don't have this. I couldn't find this one online, but I have it in my slides. There's an amphitheater there. And it would have been in that amphitheater where there would have been early persecution uh, of Christians, as was the case in, in the Colosseum at Rome, for example. Uh, and in those uh, settings, uh, tragically, uh, there would have been a great deal of uh, persecution of the early Christians at times. This is simply another shot of the uh, interior of that area, uh, supposedly the prison, and uh, another shot 
of that as well. But as you recall, the Ganges River uh, was the river, is the river that runs uh, through Philippi. And uh, of course, Lydia was meeting there, Lydia being the first convert, convert on European soil. Lydia was meeting there with some women there, uh, worshiping God uh, in the only way they knew, and yet they learned the truth. Lydia and her household obeyed the gospel and became the first converts at, uh, at Philippi. And so, uh, just to briefly review, and then uh, we looked at verses 1 and 2. Uh, as well as quite a bit of introductory material, which we will not cover uh, again uh, tonight, though we will make some allusions to Acts 16 and the uh, beginning of the church at, uh, at Philippi again. But we looked at verses 1 and 2, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we mentioned last time that this is a passage that gives us, in very succinct fashion, the full organization of the Lord's church. Here they are to writing to the saints, that's all the Christians, including the preacher, if, he, uh, if they had a local preacher, all the saints in Christ Jesus with the bishops, that is the elders, the overseers, the shepherds, the pastors, in other words, those various terms that describe uh, those who oversee the flock of God, and the deacons, the special servants, who labor under the oversight of the elders. So here is a fully scripturally organized body of believers at Philippi. And it was a body of believers that the Apostle Paul loved very dearly, as we shall see in our continued study of verses 3 through 8 tonight. He begins this section <coughs> after the greeting, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That's verse 3. Now think about that. I thank my God. Well, that simply reminds us that obviously uh, we need to be thanking God every day that we live, and in our prayers to God, they should be permeated by expressions of thanksgiving because there is so much for which we are thankful or should be thankful. No matter what our present circumstances are, no matter the challenges that we are facing at a particular time, there is always reason to be thankful to God. And the Apostle Paul was one who prayed fervently, prayed without ceasing, that is, regularly, and who thanked God. But in this case, he's saying, I thank God upon most of my remembrance of you. No. I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Now, what a compliment that is to the brethren the brothers and sisters at Philippi. And what it also says about Paul and the development of positive attitudes despite adverse circumstances. You know, there are probably circumstances in our lives in the past and places where we have experienced things were, that were most unpleasant. And if someone brings up that particular place where we have experienced uh, something extremely negative, we kind of cringe a little bit. Oh, I remember that city, or I remember my time there, and uh, I don't really have pleasant memories of that. Well, the Apostle Paul was beaten and thrown into prison at Philippi. That's what happened to him at Philippi, 
And yet, despite those circumstances and despite that adversity and despite that suffering, there was something that completely overshadowed all of that. What was it? The beautiful, loving, tender relationship that he sustained with the church that began during that time at Philippi. And what a compliment to him for his positive attitude and to them because of the kind of lives they were living that prompted him to say, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Should we not as Christians, should we not as a body of people at White Oak be striving to live in such a way so that anyone who comes into our midst and spends any length of time with us at all could express the same thing and say, you know, I remember my time at White Oak and oh, I have nothing but fond memories of those people. That's the kind of Christian that we should strive to be. And indeed, uh, I believe White Oak is a congregation that indeed evokes a very positive response from those who are, uh, who are with us uh, in, in our midst. But we're human beings, and we, uh, we don't rest on our laurels, and we always strive to grow and be better and uh, to indeed uh, be as positive as we can be and as loving as we can be, while at the same time being known for those who love and defend the truth uh, of the gospel. But he, uh, he extends to them a wonderful compliment, doesn't he? When he says, I can thank God upon every remembrance of you. Every time I think of you, I think of something that is positive. And also in his prayers, always in every Prayer, this is verse 4, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. Now notice, always in every prayer of mine. Wouldn't it have been comforting? Wouldn't it have been comforting to the church at Philippi, no matter what they may have been enduring at the time, to know that here was an apostle who at this time was in prison himself in Rome, who could have been praying for himself a great deal, but in Instead, and I'm not saying he didn't include, include himself in his prayers, obviously, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to pray for ourselves in various ways. But wouldn't it have been reassuring to them to learn that in every prayer of the Apostle Paul, he remembered them at some point in that prayer? That's the kind of devotion he had to them. That's the kind of concern he had for their spiritual uh, welfare. And we'll see that more as we go on, even in this section we're studying uh, tonight, but making requests for you all with joy. He could go before the throne of God through Jesus Christ with joy in his heart for what he knew about the church at Philippi. Now that's something Paul couldn't always do, was it? There were congregations where obviously he went to God on their behalf, but there were congregations tragically because of the problems with which they were filled that he approached the throne with great concern and with grief and with uh, the care that came upon him daily, as he stated in 2 Corinthians 11, for all the churches. But there were some congregations that were different than Philippi and uh, for whom he could not pray always with joy. And again, it simply reminds us of the kind of congregation Philippi was and therefore worthy of our emulation. And then he specifically mentions, he specifically mentions in verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. 
for your fellowship in the gospel. Now, they had contributed to Paul's physical needs, and so they had fellowship with him uh, in that sense, and he mentions that, and we'll come to that over in chapter 4 of this letter. But they had fellowship not only in their participation with him financially, but obviously their spiritual participation. This word fellowship comes from the word koinonia, which simply means a joint participation or a joint sharing. And fellowship is a word that we need to, we need to deem so precious, so precious, that we would never want to do anything, and we've said this before, to disrupt that precious fellowship that was not absolutely necessary to disrupt that fellowship. Now, sin obviously separates from God, and sin separates brother from brother and sister from sister unless sin is repented of. Fellowship can be breached. Fellowship can be, can be broken, but it should not be unnecessarily uh, broken. Never for anything short of sin, doctrinal error. And fellowship is a precious thing indeed. And Paul deemed it precious. And he expressed the preciousness of that fellowship and his thankfulness for their fellowship, their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. It's interesting, and we won't take time to go into all the passages, but there are passages where this word uh, fellowship, koinonia, is translated as communion. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, communion. When we commune with the Lord at the Lord's table, the idea is that joint participation. He drinks with us and eats with us in the kingdom as he promised the disciples, I will not eat of this, uh, this bread, drink of this cup until I eat it new with you in the kingdom. And so we commune with the Lord. There's the preciousness and the, the soberness of that, of that time that we gather around the Lord's table, as it were. We commune with Christ. And that word fellowship, the same word that's translated fellowship here, is used in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. It is also used in the sense of, of contribution and a contribution uh, that is made. That is financial uh, participation. And they had fellowship with Paul uh, in that sense as well. And so the word is used in, a ver in various uh, senses in Scripture, but it always means the same thing from the standpoint of being a joint participation or a sharing, and a beautiful, wonderful relationship as we consider that joint participation in the gospel. And he says, here's how long you have been involved, from the first day until now. You have been steady. You have been constant. You have always been there for me, and you've always been there for the gospel from the first day. We've mentioned before that if someone is old enough to obey the gospel of Christ, one is old enough then to participate in the work of the kingdom, the work of the church, in some way from day one, from day one. We're not saved to sit. We are saved to serve. And if one's old enough to obey the gospel, then certainly one should be serving in some capacity. That's what the, uh, the Christians at Philippi had done. From day one, they had participated. They had been workers uh, in the kingdom. And Paul had such confidence in them that he expressed it in the next verse in this way. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus 
Christ. Being confident of this very thing. This was the kind of confidence he had in them. That he who has begun a good work in you. Interesting way to put that. Who is the he who had begun a good work in them? God. God had begun the good work in them. When did that good work begin? Well, again, we go back to Acts 16, and we talked some about the background of the beginning of the church of Philippi last week. But in Acts 16, you have the beginning of God's work in them. God began that work. But was it God alone who began that work? They're just simply uh, basically uh, overpowering them and uh, bringing them into a blessed and saved relationship without their participation, without their work being involved? Was it, in other words, all of God's work? Here, he attributes the source of the beginning of their salvation to God. God began that work, but how did God begin it? God began that work through men and through the efforts of, of Paul and Silas. And, uh, and others who were there who preached the gospel to them for the first time. Uh, Lydia, verse 14 of Acts chapter 16. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. Heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. How did the Lord open Lydia's heart? Through the gospel, through the word of God. Was that the beginning of God's work among them? Yes, it was. But was it God alone that began that work? No. He did it through the gospel. And when she and her household were baptized, verse 15 of Acts 16, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So Paul attributes the beginning of their spiritual uh, journey to God, and rightfully so, because God is the author of, uh, of that uh, salvation. God, through Christ, has made possible the beginning of uh, all of our work if we're in the kingdom and laboring in the kingdom. But what did he begin? A good work. And there, again, is a reminder that as Christians, we are to be workers. We're to be workers. But the key is, God works, yes, he does his part through giving us the gospel, but man works in the sense that man must also respond to that gospel and work, yes, works of obedient faith, as we often speak of, in order to appropriate the grace of God or to appropriate God's work, if you will. But is it the case that God alone is responsible for the Philippians and their salvation, and that God did it, and God is continuing to do it, because is that what he's saying here, that he who has begun a good work in it, in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, God alone is going to do it, you just sit back and you're saved, once you're saved, you're always saved, I don't care what you do, Philippians, God began that good work in you, and God is going to complete it, in effect, in effect, that is what you have in faith only, in terms of obedience being not required except just simply giving mental agreement, and that's what you have in the further uh, false teaching of once saved, always saved. That yes, it's good for you to be active, and it's great, and you ought to do that, but if you don't do that, you're still going to be saved because God does the work, and God continues to do the work. Is that what Paul is saying here? Why, of course not. All we have to do is see what took place in Acts 16, and we know how God began that work, with man's participation 
and man's response. But beyond that, turn over to the second chapter and listen to what Paul writes to these same ones whom he said God began the work in them. In verses 12 and 13 of Philippians 2, what does he write? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always, what? Obeyed, as you have always obeyed. Would that include their obedience to the gospel when they first heard it? Well, of course it would. They had to obey. That's work. That's work. Not works that they came up with, not works by which they could earn salvation, but works that God ordained. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But let's read on. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, listen to this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then he adds in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. There's a wonderful summary of what the salvation to the Philippians and thus salvation to all of us under the new covenant is all about. It's about God beginning that work by what? By giving us the gospel through his dear son, Jesus Christ. We have that gospel, but we must obey that gospel. And then when we do, we must continue to work out our salvation with God working in us and through us through his word in order to ultimately achieve the final result, which is eternal salvation. But work is involved from beginning to end. And the Philippian letter makes that abundantly clear. Well, when you go back to Ephesians, remember Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. That's God's part. That's God's work. The gift, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, Titus 2.11. But then he adds, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All works? No, not works of the law of Moses, not works by which I could earn salvation, as we've often said. But then listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Does man, does man only begin to work after Conversion? No. Man has to work before conversion and continue to work after conversion and keep on working until he dies or until the Lord comes again. But what kind of work is he to do? The kind of work that responds to God's work, his grace, and enables God to work in us through the gospel, both to will and to do. That deals with attitude, motivation, as well as action. And we'll talk more about that when we get to that part of Philippians. But he has begun the work, but that does not exclude man's participation in that work. And the Philippian letter itself makes that abundantly clear, as does all of the teaching of the New Testament. And when he says, we'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, what day is that? That's the judgment day the day or the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes again and we all stand before God and Christ in judgment. Well, then our last two verses for tonight, verses 7 and 8. Just as it is right for me to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, 
Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of, and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Here again is a reminder of the tenderness, the deep love that he had for them and the wonderful confidence that he had. Because he says, it's, it's right, it's appropriate. It's fitting for me to think what I think of you because you have demonstrated that I should be thinking of you that way because you've given evidence of your faithfulness. You have been consistent and faithful, and I have you in my heart and love you deeply because of your love for God, your love for me, and because of that, I have the deepest affection for you. And he specifically says, in my chains, in other words, in my imprisonment, you haven't abandoned me, you've been supportive of me. In the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you have stood with me. You've never abandoned me. Did anyone ever abandon Paul during hard times? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. More than one uh, did, as he expressed it in his epistles. But the Philippians were not among those. The Philippians were there. They were steady. They were constant. They were devoted. And because of that, he says, you all are partakers with me of grace. Isn't it interesting that despite the fact that he's in prison at the time that he writes this, he has suffered so much for the cause of Christ, and yet he can still, he can still appreciate fully the fact that he is a recipient of the grace of God. He never, never reached a point where he said, you know, after all I've gone through, I'm just not sure, I'm not sure this is worth it, and I wonder why God is allowing all of this to happen to me. No, he still appreciated and understood that the grace or the favor of God was with him. And what it reminds us of is that we should never lose sight of the grace of God and that God's favor is with us despite adversity and that in dealing with that adversity, God is, God is allowing us to be pruned, if you will. Remember John 15, the first eight verses of John 15, where Jesus talked about the vine and the branches and those who are his, he, he prunes uh, and so that they may bear more fruit. In other words, that is a reference to the fact that we are not going to be sheltered from adversity. We're going to have to deal as Christians with adversity, uh, perhaps severe adversity, perhaps repeated adversity, depending upon how long we live and, and, uh, and how we live our lives. But yes, all remember 2 Timothy 3.12, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But that's a pruning process. The persecution is a pruning process if we'll use it and see it that way. And remember that God's grace is with us as long as we are in his grace as a result of walking in the light as he is in the light. And despite the adverse circumstances, we can rejoice in the Lord, as we have said before, and we can still appreciate, as did the Apostle Paul from a prison cell in Rome, the grace that he was privileged to be a partaker of as a result of his being a child of the King.
how greatly I long for you all with what? With the affection of Jesus Christ. Referring perhaps to his affection being much like the affection that Christ has for his people and for all men, really. But there's a special relationship and a special deep affection that we have for those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Tonight, as we close our thoughts, are you among those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, who have that wonderful bond, that very close relationship, that wonderful fellowship about which Paul has written in this part of the epistle, a, pre a, a fellowship that is so precious that we long to be with each other, long to help each other, long to uh, rejoice with each other, and yes, we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We have a bond that is like no other relationship that, that transcends family, earthly relationships, blood relationships in the sense that we always put Christ and our relationship with Him and of our relationship with those of like precious faith above everything. We do not sacrifice that relationship for any other relationship because it's the most precious relationship we have. That's the kind of relationship we're studying about as we continue to study this great Philippian epistle of the great Philippian church, a church that Paul loved so dearly. Are you a part of that church tonight, the church for which Jesus shed his precious blood? If not, we plead with you to be added to that body. You can't join it, but the Lord stands ready to add you. If if you will do what Lydia and her household did, as we read about the beginning of the Philippian church, if you'll do what the Philippian jailer and his household did in believing that Jesus is the Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the Christ, and being buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. If you haven't done that, we plead with you to do it. And if you have, but you've wandered from that wonderful, precious fellowship that you once embraced and enjoyed, come home to that fellowship. Come home to the Lord in repentance as we stand to sing.